0: The emergence of COVID-19 has forced the legal industry to rapidly undergo a fundamental transformation. I'm Jack Newton, CEO and co-founder of Clio, the world's leading cloud-based legal software provider. In each episode of Daily Matters, we'll explore what this new normal means for law firms, how legal professionals can find success while working remotely, and how lawyers can best serve their clients during this unprecedented situation. Today, we're speaking with Jared Correa, who is the CEO at Red Cave Law Firm Consulting and also one of the most prominent and influential voices in the legal tech community. Jared, it's great to have you here.
1: Thanks. Is that all true? I guess so. I'll take it.
0: Uh, yeah. As far as we could tell from our research, it's mostly true. Uh, <laughs> we, we may have embellished here, but, uh, but joking aside, you, you are uh prolific uh you you write in many different channels including twitter you've got a large following and we've known each other for for years all the way back to your your Mass map days so it's it's great right. to reconnect here and uh and have you on uh, my brand new podcast so thanks thanks for joining us
1: no this is exciting yeah and i think i think we first met when cleo was a startup way back in the day and look at you guys now awesome yeah, to see
0: a- ABA tech show like 2010 maybe I, I, I probably think that's right the right ballpark <laughs> yeah um so so Jared first and foremost uh, how are you and your family doing
1: oh good um no one's been maimed yet or otherwise injured which is always good to see uh, <laughs> I, I was yet, d- uh, th- <laughs> yeah yeah a, well important it's still, word right it's still early maybe hopefully not too early during the quarantine period but my son is like not in school he's eight and um I was just on a video conference with somebody and he was playing like his new uh, PlayStation. And he's like, I could do quarantine forever. He does like an hour (laughs) of school. He's playing video games. He loves it. And my daughter's uh, five. So she's a little bit younger. So she's kind of like, she's getting used to it, but it's hard. It's tough when you're that age because like, it's really hard to entertain yourself as like a five-year-old girl. So um, we've been trying to plan it out. So we get to spend time with them. And then my wife is like uh, working at a, big law firm. And like the first thing she did when she came home instead of the home office was buy the biggest printer I've ever seen. And I was like, that's how I know you work at a large law firm. So everybody's adjusting, but we're doing well. Thank you for asking.
0: That's, that's great. That's, that's how, you know, you're well equipped to work at home. If you're in a <laughs> right, large law right. firm, get the biggest <laughs> printer money you can buy. I was like, um, I didn't even know they sold them this large, but I see it. Now. I'm staring at it right now. Does it does it have a uh, an add-on module where you can enter the matter code uh, for your your photocopies and printouts and make sure everything's tracked appropriately?
1: I think so. I believe there's an attached <laughs> axe as well. Like I would show it to you, but I can't get it, get it into the camera. Point,
0: so. Well, we'll ship you a wide-angle camera and do it on a follow-up yes, episode.
1: Yes, yes, we'll do it again.
0: <laughs> so, so Jared, you you touched on this, but tell me a little bit about how your 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 day to day has changed with the impact of of COVID nineteen and. Um, I believe you did a lot of work from home to, to start with. So maybe it's not that dramatic a change other than the fam being a bit closer than usual, but, but tell me what those, what those changes have looked like for you.
1: You see me looking away. My daughter just bounced into the room and then just left. She's like, Oh, another video conference. Um, I will tell you like, there's only one way that my day has changed is that I shifted hours a little bit. So um, my kids are probably home more regularly than most people's kids. Like my son is off the bus like three days a week. We spend time together. My daughter's home on Fridays with me. Um, so I usually am somebody who works in the morning. So I'll usually do like a four to 8 a.m. block in the morning. And then I'll get started with the kids and we'll hang out for a little bit. And then I'll work intermittently throughout the day. And really the only thing that's changed for me is I've kind of been militant about not scheduling any meetings until like 11 a.m. our time. So what I do in that time is I'll work out, I'll start hanging with the kids, I'll get them breakfast, um, we'll play for a little bit, no screens, and then we'll do um, educational stuff for about an hour and a half, and then I kind of start the work day. And then I try to have like half an hour block here and there where I can just hang with them and sit down and make sure that somebody is paying attention to them. Because my wife's job is still very much like nine to five. So she can't really do that at this point. But that in terms of like my day, that was like normally my day, aside from the fact that they're just home all the time in larger periods. And my daughter just showed up right now. Do you want to say hi? Yeah, come on in and say Hello. This is grace. We, we, we call this
0: the Levine uh, appearance now. Uh, Aaron Levine was the, the first podcast host to uh, right. to join us. Hey there, how's it going? Thank is you. this your first podcast? And she's out. <laughs> <laughs> she's got an Easter basket. She's got stuff going on. <laughs> yeah, way, way better stuff to do.
1: Um, but, but this is like like I tell people, like they're like, how much has your life changed? Because this, I'm like, basically, it's like a Tuesday afternoon
0: for me. Right. So, so you've got to maybe we can dig there a little bit, Jared. You've, you've got yeah. uh, maybe you could tell us a little bit about your consulting practice. What does Red sure. Cave Consulting do? And what are some of the, the tactics that you might be able to share, the pro tips in terms of having seen the, the work from home with kids at home and, and maybe having to educate the kids at home layered in on top of all of that? Uh, right. Do you have any strategies you, you could help share with uh, the listeners as well?
1: Oh, sure. Like, I'll get into the consulting thing first. So, I've been doing consulting for law firms, business management consulting for years, uh, probably about 12, 13 years at this point. And I have private clients that I work with on a subscription basis. So, I have people who uh, I talk to regularly about their businesses um, at least two hours a month. And that's really a global practice at this point. Um, Last client I signed on, I think his law firm is located in Uganda. And that's really cool because I can work with attorneys across the globe, see the differences in their practices. Um, and I'm usually providing information on technology, marketing, and finance is what they want to know. Um, lawyers are lagging behind in technology. They're often lagging behind in marketing and finance. So like, there's a lot to work on obviously. And then what I've done in addition to that is kind of outsource what I used to do in Massachusetts. Um, you referenced this before I used to work for the state of Massachusetts as their, uh, practice management advisor for all the attorneys in mass. And there are about 60,000 lawyers in the state. I've since uh, outsourced uh, a program like that to several different bar associations and I'm working on adding more of those. So essentially I'm like the outsourced consulting partner for the bar, which is kind of cool because that's like a turnkey operation
0: for me. So Is, is, um, is that like a, an outsourced PMA, practice management advisor kind of function, Jared?
1: Essentially, and that's kind of how I set it up intentionally. Um, a lot of bars don't want to pay like full freight to have somebody on the staff. And then some bigger states, for example, like... A lot of those bar associations want people to do like in-person meetings with consultants or go to the law firm's office. And like, if you're in like Nebraska, that's not particularly practicable because you got somebody who's in one part of the state and then they got to drive to the other part of the state. So I do a completely virtually turnkey operation. And so that's worked out pretty well. So in terms of like the consulting, those are two of the income streams. And then I do a lot of writing and uh, consulting with larger uh, legal companies, including tech companies as well. And that's all, that's all done from home. So I've done that from home for, gosh, five or six years now at this point. And when I was working for the state of Massachusetts, I was always like, you know, I could do this at home. <laughs> and it turned out to be exactly the case. And I think right. for most people, that's true. Like lawyers, especially, like it's not like you're running a restaurant or anything like that. Even I, I think
0: that's the food. one of the enduring changes we'll see as a result of this crisis is a lot of people that maybe thought that the only way they could get their job done was going into an office. Or a lot of managers that thought the only way they could manage people's work was seeing them work at an office uh, will realize that the, the world of work has become way more mobile and way more distributed. And it will probably stay that way.
1: I think it's been a crutch for a lot of people. Like you said, especially yep. business managers, because like you rely on that cadence of meetings that happens on a regular basis in the same way. And you just get stuck in that model. And law firms, as you know, they're tougher to move off of models like that than almost any other business.
0: We're just seeing bums in seats, seeing somebody working for 10 or 12 hours a day. They they, they must be getting work done, right? (laughs) (laughs) Law firms
1: have always been about showing up, like in person. And now in the span of like a month, that whole model has been like completely wrecked. And so they're having a hard time coping with
0: that for sure. So uh, so tell us, Jerry, you, you went from, you know, at, at, at Maslow Map working in an office to doing thematically similar work from home. How, how did you find that transition? And do, do you have pro tips to share in terms of how do you, how do you number one, ensure that you're productive at home? But I, I think also something I've heard from a lot of folks, uh, including people at employees at Clio that have been working from home is that the lines between work and home become much blurrier. And it can be easy. And I've found myself in the same trap, easy to work a 10 or 12 hour day and, and look up from your computer and not even realize that you've, you know, been in the zone for, for a stretch and missed dinner and haven't seen your kids for the entire day.
1: Oh, totally. It's really tough to normalize that in a home environment. And then the other thing is like on the opposite side of that, if you're having like a particularly slow day, right? and you've got like two hours between conference calls, let's say, you're like, oh, I should just empty the dishwasher and maybe fold the laundry. And then right. you say, where did that two hours go? Now i right. got to write something and it's midnight. So you've, you've really got to be on point about being efficient. So I think that's part of it, like scheduling a, a time for you to work, right? Because it's very easy to work like an 18-hour day or on the other end of it, like a two-hour day. Either right. of those things could happen depending on the day. So like I mentioned before, like I try to be very scheduled about things. So when the kids are at school, my schedule changes a little bit in the sense that they're not here and I have more time throughout the day, but I will still work. uh, I will still wake up at like 4 a.m. every day and then I'll work until about usually 730 Then I'll get into my school prep routine, right? I'll make everybody lunches. I'll bring them to school. I'll drop my wife off at her job um, and then I'll come back and I'll work out for like an hour and a half and then it's like 10 o'clock. And then I get into the day and I try to take a break for lunch around one o'clock. And then I try to finish up around five and then I go pick everybody up. And then once I've logged off or shut the computer down, gotten to pick everybody up, we come home, we have dinner, we put the kids to bed. And then oftentimes I'll just be in bed by like nine o'clock, nine thirty, 30 and be asleep so I can kick it off again. I found that like for me, and this is different for everybody else. Like if I try to stay up late to get work done, I stay up way too late. But if I can give myself like that period of time in the morning, like three or four hours before everybody's up, I get a lot done and I'm like hyper efficient. And that's the other thing, like for people, like if you're working from home for the first time, it helps to figure out like, when am I at my most efficient? I know I'm not super efficient at like 2 p.m. because I want to take a nap, but I know in the early morning, what works for me is just to get out and get cranking and I can really get a lot done so that's, that's just like insight into how i spend my work days but whatever works for you in terms of a routine i would put that routine in place and then just stick to it to make sure it works
0: yeah you just uh brought to mind uh dan pink and his new book uh called when oh i and, ghost wrote that just kidding <laughs> <laughs> and a lie. uh what what Dan talks about in this book is the the science of of timing and how important you know one of the takeaway messages is never schedule a surgery surgery for a Friday afternoon and the data shows that there is more complications more uh, deaths more more unintended and negative side effects from surgeries done in the afternoon especially Friday afternoon compared to yeah. Uh, morning surgeries when surgeons are, are fresh. And he talks about our, our natural biorhythms and how to time your day to to maximize your productivity around your your biorhythms. So it sounds like you've clued into that and we're, we're onto that idea early. And I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm it curious. It didn't happen overnight, of- <laughs> I will say that. Like <laughs> yeah. it,
1: it took some discovery before I actually finalized the schedule. And I was like, this actually works for me. But go ahead. Sorry, I didn't mean
0: to I, I was just going to ask you when, when you, you talk about the you know, folding laundry for a couple of hours as, as maybe the opportunistic kind of chore doing that we might be tempted to, to do during the, the quote unquote work day." Do you actually lean into that and, and be fluid with what you're doing based on how you're feeling or, or are you really regimented about and say, no, this is my work time and I'm, I'm not going to go and do the, the laundry?
1: Sometimes I'm regimented about it, but I try to like listen to what my mind and body are telling me in some way. So if it's like 2.30 in the afternoon and I get a call in half an hour and I'm like, look, I just cannot concentrate right now. I need a break. Like that rote act of folding laundry is sometimes a really good way for me to get back on track. So, yeah, I mean, if you called me on a random Tuesday at like 2.30 in the afternoon, I might be folding laundry and I might pick up. But I probably won't stop folding laundry. (laughs) Right. Yeah. So yeah, totally. Like, and I, I think I think every day is a little bit different. And, you know, the other thing for me is like I found that when I was working in an office, the real challenge was that like anybody could come into the office and anybody could ask me a question at any time. And as you know, like when you're supervising people, that's a challenge because like, especially if you try to have an open door policy, you get like three hours of work done a day. But when I'm at home, I find that if like I'm present in what I'm doing, I'm really quick at it. And I'm not bothered by a ton of distractions. So if I want to say, all right, I'm going to take this half an hour to fold laundry, then I like fully commit to that. And I'm folding laundry for a half an hour before I do something else.
0: Um, so shifting gears a little bit, Jared, I'm, I'm curious, you, you've got the uh, good fortune of having you a know, really broad perspective on what's going on with the industry through your consulting clients. Mm-hmm. What are you seeing happen on the front lines? And and what are you seeing as, as some of the more immediate impacts of, of COVID-19? And um, how are you advising them in terms of how to navigate this, this crisis?
1: Yeah, um, it's tough for a lot of law firms out there. And like, um, maybe there are law firms out there who are 10% ready, but I don't know if there's a law firm out there that's like 100% ready, right? So one of the things that I've seen that I've been talking about recently a lot is um, this issue of like marketing and client intake, right? So I've talked to a lot of law firms who are like, I can't do any client intake right now, so I'm just shutting it down. Um, not a great strategy. And, <laughs> right. like, I'm, I'm and, and when they about- say
0: they can't do client intake, what what do they mean by that? So
1: what that means essentially is they can't switch their in-person based intake system over right. to the, over. They've the got platform.
0: their blue sheet ready to get <laughs> torn off the, the legal pad and <laughs> hand it to their clients. So. Oh, exactly. Yeah. Pa- yeah. Payments, um,
1: signatures, uh, meetings like this, like they don't know how to do web conferences. So when they say can't, they re- they really mean they haven't adjusted yet or they don't want to do it. A yeah, they way. won't. And so when I tell them like, look, you don't know how long this is going to last. Maybe it's a month, maybe it's three months, maybe it's eight months. I hope to God that that's not the case, but that's on the table. Right. So like they're, they're actually getting people calling them to sign up and do work with them and they're turning them away. And they may not feel that for six months. They may not feel that for nine months, but at some point there's going to be a trough in their income because they decided to do this. So I tell those folks like, look, Take this as an opportunity to modernize your intake and also take this as an opportunity to modernize the way that you market. Shift more of that to the web when most law firms are doing in-person networking and that's the only way they drive business. So for most law firms, it's not just about changing the intake platform. It's about changing the marketing platform. And like I said, now is a good time to do both. Start with intake because you get people who are calling you that you're not going to be able to convert just because you don't want to, but there's going to be hell to pay if a lot of law firms do that. Like a year from now, six months from now, I don't know when it's going to happen, but it's definitely going to happen. And that's like, that's like the biggest issue I've seen by far.
0: So these, these firms that are, are saying they, they, they can't, or, or maybe as you pointed out, maybe you don't want to do intake right now, are, are they viewing that with the long-term ramifications of that decision in mind or, or are they of the view that this is a, a short-term state of affairs and we're going to be on the other side of this crisis, you know, in, in late April? Or what's the, what's the mindset there? Because it feels like a, uh, what could be a firm-destroying decision not to rapidly pivot to online totally. intake and not to realize – you're not going to be doing lead gen at a chamber of commerce meeting for a long, long time, if ever again. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Right. Tell tell me about the mindset there.
1: Yeah, they're definitely not thinking of it that way. It it is definitely not. um, Oh, this is going to change the way I practice law for forever, which you and I both know is what's happening. Right. Um, They're like, Oh, this is going to be two months maybe. And so most of the people I talk to, honestly, they're like, Hey, this is a great time for me to catch up on some of my CLEs. I could watch some online videos where I could read about the law <laughs> and they're not even right. focused on the tech stuff. They're like, I'm going to take a two month sabbatical and see how this goes. And right. you're right. That could be a firm destroying decision, but it's amazing to me that even at this juncture, a lot of law firms don't see this as that, but I will, I will caution against like overreacting too much to this by saying that like you're on the coast you're on the West Coast, I'm on the East Coast. We've been quarantined for a while. I know where I am in Boston, we've been under quarantine for like a month already. Yeah. But some of these Midwestern states in the U.S., some of these Western states and Southern states in the U.S., um, I have a client, they went into a shelter in place six days ago. So this is all brand new for a lot of people. But what I have found is that even if it's the start or even if it's at the end of this, law firms aren't taking this seriously enough. So I think a lot of them are approaching it for the first time now but they definitely don't understand the gravity of the situation.
0: And I, I, I think if we extrapolate, even from your data point, your consulting clients, which I, I think just by virtue of the fact that they're consulting clients of yours, they're going to be more plugged in than average right. on technology, on how to manage a law firm better. I think we can extrapolate from there that there's cause for deep concern if you look at the wider legal population that are just not truly appreciating the gravity of the situation and how rapidly they need to adapt if they're going to survive. And, and my question to you, Jared, would be, what do you believe will be the differentiator between the firms that emerge from this crisis having survived and, and maybe even thrived and coming out of it stronger than oh, when I they think entered it and yeah. those that, that might fail? Yeah, no,
1: it's it's totally the case that some firms are going to thrive based on this. So I think like, to this point of our conversation, is how quickly can you act? And you make a good point about like, look at the number of solo lawyers there are in the United States, yep. let's say, it's like, of the total population of lawyers, right? It's massive. And a lot of these people are going after this without any kind of help at all, right? They're trying to find their second cousin who's 14 years old, who's like, can you set up a Zoom conference for me? I think you must know how to do that, right? And a lot of them are not thinking about taking action quickly. A lot of them are still in this phase of what do I do? How do I convert my old practice so that it works now? And they're not thinking of how do I change my practice in its entirety, but the lawyers who are going to succeed and who are going to thrive are starting to make those changes right now. And in fact, they were probably pivoting like last month. And it's not just about the technology you use, how you market your practice. It's also about thinking of the nature of your practice to begin with. Like, can you price things in the same way? If there's going to be like 35% unemployment, right? So you have to start thinking about legal products. You have to start thinking about subscription services. You have to thinking about what's the total cost of representation How do I sell that to people? Yeah, And then you also have to think about what practice areas are you focusing on now? Like how quickly can you convert to quote unquote recession areas of law practice? Um, The sooner you can make those moves, the better off you'll be in the long term, without a doubt.
0: Yeah. And to your earlier point, if you're brushing up on CLE, maybe you should be anticipating, you know, what the high need practice areas are going to be over the coming weeks and months. And I, I think that, lawyers don't appreciate, you know, maybe an in, intrinsic benefit to being a lawyer is that there is a, a built-in flexibility and a built-in resilience to a recession, like the one that we're, we're in. By the way, not the one we're about to enter, the one we're already well in. Yes, uh, correct. <laughs> and and think about how you might be able to pivot to those in-demand practice areas. And, and again, you can't substitute experience in, in all cases, but if you're if you're general practice, for example, you know, think about which areas you're doubling down in your marketing and your lead gen right. and yeah. And so on.
1: Yeah. Even, even in a disaster like this, there's always opportunity, but the people who are going to capitalize on that are the ones who are going to act quickly.
0: So Jared you've been advocating for the role of technology in law firms for, for years and you've been banging this drum as long as I've known you, which is, you know, I, I think the better part of a decade, mm-hmm. uh, are you seeing this moment as the, the catalyst that will finally get law firms to fully embrace technology out of necessity? Or, or do you think that will happen for a subset of the law firms out there? What is your level of optimism around the amount of change this might drive? I mean, I'm pretty optimistic about it, honestly. Um,
1: and I've been kind of, it's interesting because I've been thinking about this a lot lately. I kind of view this as like the second wave of law firm technology adoption. And I mm-hmm. kind of view the first wave as like that period 08, 09, 2010, when there were cloud-based products that started to come out, including yours and law firms started to adopt it like the early adopters. Yeah. And what I think is really interesting about that is that that happened during a recession as well. Yeah. Um, so I think what moves lawyers is revenue across the board. They're always thinking about revenue and if it's revenue that's down, then they're going to start thinking about, okay, what do I need to do to ramp up? So Now I think is going to be the second wave of legal tech where you see all these late adopters who are coming in like 10 years later. And they're like, okay, now it's time to get on top of this. And because they're lawyers, they're going to view this as like, oh, I'm doing some amazing things. Did you hear about this new technology that's out? And I'm going to be having conversations with these people who are like, that technology is last decade's technology. You got to adopt that and also adopt some stuff on top of it to be able to stay up to speed. So uh, largely I think that's a positive development, but I think like, It's going to be the people who are behind the curve getting caught up to being a little bit less behind the curve.
0: Right. But I think the important point is that you talked about early adopters. My feeling is, as somebody who's on the front lines of legal technology adoption, is that we're still in that early phase of the technology adoption curve with legal technology. I still think people adopting cloud solutions, for example, are in the early adopters as opposed to the early majority or late majority of the technology diffusion model. Um, yeah, I think
1: that's a fair point. And like to that point, um, you see all the interest in legal tech that's developing right now. You see investment coming into legal tech, uh, yours specifically just had a big injection, right? Yeah. Um, there's interest in this, people are starting to put money in this. And so when I, t- and I tell people this often as well, that like, I still think legal tech is in like, it's, it's in its nascent stage, even now, even in 2020. And I think most people look at me who are in the industry and say, well, legal tech's been around for forever. But yeah, I think you're right. I think this could crest like during this decade, which would be great if it does.
0: Agree. So tell me, Jared, you're also involved with a legal technology startup Mm -hmm. yourself and have been on the front lines of uh, what I think is an especially relevant piece of technology to today's world, which is, Gideon Legal, uh, which is, which is a chat bot that can Mm -hmm. help with intake on your website. Can you tell us a little bit more about Gideon and how you see it factoring into this, this environment?
1: Yeah. Well, I'd like to think I'm forward thinking. So like during this conversation, we've discussed like, okay, we've seen this coming from a while back. Right. So like a few years ago, I got involved with a partner of mine now who uh, had started to develop this chat bot for law firms and like one of the biggest problems with lawyers, which is I think borne out in like the Clio legal trends report that you put out every year, especially the last one like voicemail, um, emails, um, you know, phone calls to receptionists, contact forms, those end up like being bottomless pits for law firm consumers because yeah. those people have maybe never worked with a law firm before. They have no idea what's coming next. So they need to know about the legal process. There needs to be some kind of call to action, some kind of engagement. So if you can get that potential client to engage with your law firm, then you're in a position to be able to actually convert them. And if you don't, they're going to be at a point where you're, I'll be right back. Okay. Hang on one second. My daughter wants a cake pop. I was working on a great thought. I will get you a cake pop in a second. They're like obsessed with cake pops. Um, So yeah, as I was saying, like, if you get that client to engage with the law firm, like your opportunity to convert that client goes up exponentially. So there are different ways to do that, of course. It's like virtual receptionist services and tools like that, online scheduling tools. But we thought probably the most effective way was chatbots because a lot of consumers generally like to message back and forth with brands. Um, So we've developed that and we've put together some triage and classification tools into that system. We built an online scheduling product into that. And uh, we're about to launch out of beta, I think around June one at this point. So I've been working on that for about two years. We've got a fairly large beta of about 600 users. And I think we're about to make uh, the pop uh, happen with that. Uh, So yeah, thanks for asking about that. And like, it's a, obviously marketing intake is a big interest of mine. I think it's the point where lawyers lose a lot of revenue and anything I can do to help lawyers capture that revenue I'm willing to work on. So.
0: Yeah. Well, your, your point around the legal trends report, and I'd encourage anyone listening to check out the yes. the 2019 legal trends report, because one of the areas that we investigated specifically in that year's report was law firm responsiveness to inbound leads and right. and found some pretty devastating stats where the majority of calls left with law firms, for example, did not get returned. Email response times were abysmal if they were responded to at all. So, you know, your, your, your comment around law firms being, uh, you know, slow to respond is a hundred percent on point. And not only that, when I look at most law firm websites, the call to action on the website is give us a call, right? Right. Which has a few (laughs) problems with it. Number one, you've got that big 800 number and 600 point font at the top of your website as if it was a you know roadside billboard ad right but but then you're not great at responding to those inbound requests in the first place so you're driving people to a channel that on average law firms are not great at being responsive on and then additionally there's this this concept i i really like called effortless experiences. And there is a book by Chris Dixon called The Effortless Experience. That's an amazing read that I'd recommend to anybody looking to, to minimize the friction around their, uh, their client journey. Jared, you've got, you had a guest appearance. Uh, All right. We got a guest appearance coming up too. Dropped off a freshly brewed cup of coffee for me. So, uh, That is um, pretty sweet. (laughs) Good for you. There we go. Um, (laughs) but this concept of effortless experiences, I think is so powerful. And, and one of the concepts they talk about in the effortless, effortless Experience is how much friction is caused by what they describe as channel switching. So channel switching is when you're on a support channel, let's say you're emailing the customer service department for your television mm-hmm. and you're making progress and then they say, thanks for all the information, now can you give us a call on this 800 number? That channel switch is hugely annoying to consumers. And I think anyone that's gone through that experience of making progress (laughs) on one channel then being asked to switch to another knows intimately the feeling of frustration I'm describing. And yet that's that's actually the first experience that most law firms ask their prospective clients to undergo when they visit their website. And I think the idea of an integrated chatbot is so powerful because you're preventing that channel switching, but you're also able to layer in some intelligence into that where you can actually screen out bad fit leads you can yeah. you can do a lot to make sure that only the the best leads are kind of hitting your 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 inbox so can, can you just tell us a little bit more about that because i think it's a particularly relevant technology in the in the midst of this this crisis to be thinking about you know how do I not punt on intake for two months and hope that the Chamber of Commerce get-togethers are going to work again? (laughs) How do I pivot to an online world uh, with aggression? And that could be as simple as uh, an HTML form on your website, but it could also be as sophisticated as an AI chatbot. So tell tell us a little bit about what's possible on the edge of legal technology today.
1: No, it's funny you mentioned the channel switching thing. Like I just had an aunt that
0: passed away and I
1: had to organize her funeral, which by the way, is like really challenging during a global pandemic. I, but I, was, I, I, was, call, I was calling in for life insurance and um, they're like, oh, that's with another company. You need to call them. Um, here's the number. I'm like, wait, am I writing this down or are you transferring me? They're like, oh, we, we're not allowed to transfer. You you have to write it down and then call. I'm like, great. Right. Now I'm in this for another half hour.
0: <laughs> exactly. Exactly. You're right. It's frustrating. Like,
1: Yeah, it totally is. But you're right. This notion of like having one channel to be able to take a lead from step one, to step close is a really good thing. Um, And there are multiple different ways to do that. As you said, Um, I tell law firms, like the first thing to do is make sure that your contact forms are working if you use them, right? And it's staggering to me how many times contact forms break on websites. And usually that's like level one for a law firm intake. So I often tell uh, clients that I take on that I usually email them through the contact form at their website, and I wait to see how long it takes them to respond to me. And like 75% of the time, they don't respond at all. And I'm yeah, like, how are it? your contact forms working? And they're like, I'm like, let me just clue you in. They're working poorly.
0: <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Well, it's two. often, I mean, the form works fine. It's just the whole process sitting behind that form that's broken in most cases. Right, right. Exactly. So, Some uh, unmonitored inbox or, you know. Oh, the, correct.
1: Yeah. The info account, the dreaded info account.
0: <laughs> exactly. I had a good conversation with Chad Burton last week uh, on this podcast as well. And he, he talked about the fact that intake is often the side job for somebody as well, right? They've got a normal full-time job and intake, picking up the phone, getting back to those emails is the nice to have, get to it when you have time kind of.
1: Right. And that's a great segue. Like one of the things we've been thinking about in terms of like designing this chat bot is like, how do we still engage the law firms in the intake process? So they feel like they're invested in it, but how could we also put it on autopilot if that's what they want? and how do we mix and match those two things? Mm -hmm. So ideally what you want is somebody coming into the website, they get triaged, they answer some questions, um, there's a classification that resides, and then you decide what to do based on that classification. That could be scheduling a callback, that could be scheduling an appointment right through a chat service or some other service as well. Um, That could be any number of things. But then beyond that, what's really helpful is that like the way we've set it up at least is you trigger for a particular classification. And then once that classification is hit, what we're building out right now is like a chat component. So if somebody who's at the firm is pinged that there's a hot lead and that's not for every lead. That's just for leads that hit specific classifications. That person can then come in, convert this to a live chat conversation and try to close somebody right there without the aid of a bot. If that's not what they want to do or they could leave the bot on if they want right. to. And then from there, what you want to do is try to wrap up as many processes as you can. Again, chatbot or something else. So you want people to be able to make a payment through that channel. You want people to be able to sign an engagement agreement through that channel. You want people to be able to do a click-through disclaimer through that channel. You want mm-hmm. people to be able to do a disclaimer if they had a meeting with you through that channel. Heck, if like, you trust the technology enough and you say, this person has not hit my criteria, you could be in a position where you're sending out a non-engagement letter or email right through that same channel. So no channel switching at all, one pipeline essentially, and that takes care of the entire intake lifecycle. And in terms of like the technology that's out there and available, whether it's a chatbot, whether it's a CRM, whether it's some type of other intake tool, you want to make sure that you're handling that entire pipeline through that one channel. And I think that point that you made previously is very well taken on that front.
0: Yeah. No, hugely useful technology. And, and thanks for that, that additional perspective. Um, so Jared, maybe to, to wrap up, hugely enjoyed our conversation and it, it flew by. We, we will have to do a part yeah. two and dig a little bit down. deeper on uh, the legal technology piece, but you know, maybe for a parting message, I uh, would love to hear from you what your, your main message to our listeners would be, you know, either as legal professionals or or as human beings, and especially as it relates maybe to what you think the approach needs to be around making sure you're one of those firms that is not just surviving, but thriving in this crisis. Yeah. Uh,
1: one is, I'll, I'll just piggyback on one thing we said before, which is like to act quickly. Um, yeah. But one thing I will say is that it's difficult to act quickly when you have a staff in place. Because one of the things that happened now is that law firms in a compressed period of time would have to figure out how to manage the distributed workforce. That's something they've never done before. So I think rebuilding some of those cadences that you have to talk with your colleagues is really essential during this time. So I've been talking to some people about having like stand-up meetings every morning, for example, which is something that law firms never do, which is something that, uh, you know, technology companies have done for forever. So just figure out what's in people's way, how to move past it, And then also continue to schedule web meetings that are one-on-one as well and try to replicate what usually happens in law firms as far as that's concerned. But I think if you've got a staff, part of your pivot has to be, uh, A, like, what are the policies and procedures now? Do we have a bring your own device policy? Do we have a work from home policy? Now would be the time to adopt those. And then on top of that, less policy related, but figure out what the work cadence is going to be for your team now that you're in a totally online environment and try to get ramped that up as quickly as possible. And that will lead to law firms becoming more efficient ultimately.
0: Yeah. And I I think you've teed up what could be a great part two for our conversation, which is, I think the move to cloud technologies is one piece of the challenge, but the entirely almost unrelated part of the challenge that most law firms need to tackle right now. They're closely related from a, uh, from the fact you need to pair them together perspective, but the skill sets are disjoint in, in that you need, the technology and cloud-based tools for your law firm, but the human side of things—how do you manage teams in a distributed, remote world—is an entirely different ball of wax. Right. Yeah, so, something
1: lawyers are terrible at.
0: <laughs> well, <laughs> right now, right, and I—I I think that it's it's a a whole new muscle for almost every law firm to 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 build. So, great, uh, great way to to wrap up part one and, and set up part two of our conversation. Jared, nice. thanks so much for joining us today. Really enjoyed our conversation.
1: Thank you, always a pleasure. And only three drop-ins, I was very proud.
0: <laughs> not, not bad at all. Well, uh, stay healthy and stay, uh, stay safe. Thanks for joining us on Daily Matters today, a podcast from Clio. Rate and review wherever you get your podcasts and subscribe so that you never miss an episode. Daily Matters is produced by Andrew Booth, Sam Rosenthal and Derek Bolin and hosted by yours truly, Jack Newton. Thanks also to Clio, the world's leading cloud-based legal technology provider for supporting this podcast. If you'd like to learn more about Clio, please visit clio.com.